Welcome back to Shreds Takes, everyone. Glad you got to be back with us. Crazy night in the association, but I'm also going to talk today about some draft prospects because the NBA draft lottery just happened. The drafts are right around the corner. So I want to talk a little bit about that as well, get some insight into who some of these draft prospects are. But I want to start off with just some big games that happened last night. So let's start off just briefly with just the Utah Jazz. And the Utah Jazz last night, wow, they, they, they are really impressing me. They are the, the, the surprise of the playoffs so far, up three games to one over Denver, who I thought could give the Clippers a run in the Western Conference semis. And it looks like they're going to win the series in five or six games. So let's just get right into the fact of, like, how they did this last night. How, did they, how are they winning these three games? So the first thing I'm going to say is Donovan Mitchell's ready for prime time. Two is Denver doesn't have enough to win a championship. And three, Utah, when they get Bogdanovich back, can win the NBA championship. So let's get in the first thing. Donovan Mitchell is ready for prime time. He proved that his rookie year against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Even last year, to an extent, he did as well. But I think this year he's really opened up people's eyes to the level he can get to. 57 points in game one, 30 points in game two, 51 points last night. It's just unbelievable what he does and what he's brought to the table. But I think the more of the thing that there was the reason they won last night was because of their bench. They outscored Denver 31 to 13. But that's, I think, the culture that Donovan Mitchell sets. Again, he's in attack mode, and then he gives the attack mode all game. And that gives the guys the confidence to go out there and say, let's get this done too. I can be confident. Guys like Jordan Clarkson, who struggled with his confidence in Cleveland, he goes out there now and he's just firing away. And he's doing a great job, 9-13 from the floor. And again, Donovan Mitchell last night just did what he had to do. He gave you seven assists. He gave you 17-18 from the free throw line. He gave you 4-7 from three, 15-27 from the floor. And as a result, the team shoots 58%, 48% from three, and, and 82% from the free throw line. That's the Donovan Mitchell effect that they're facing right now because everyone, even Gobert, guys who he's had tussles with, they're just all playing really well together. The second thing is that Denver doesn't have enough. And that's, I, I don't think that's a hot take at all. They don't have Gary Harris. They do not have Will Barton. And those guys would have made a huge difference in this, in this series. But the problem is they have Michael Porter, who is not playing to the level he was playing right earlier. I mean, he gave you nine points yesterday. He had a pretty efficient game, but he didn't, he, again, four of eight, one or three from four, like that, that's great. But when you have 13 bench points to team versus 31, you're not going many games. The problem is you even look at the rest of the team. Like Paul Millsap gave you 16 RA, like that's okay. And then even just look at Jeremy Grant, gave you 12 points RA. But then that's, that's, still, that's still not good enough, right? It's really Jokic and Murray, who played great last night. 29 points for Jokic, 50 points for Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray played all-time clutch level last night. But they just don't have enough. They don't have enough of Gary Harris and Will Barton are not there. Utah is exploiting their, their defense because I think Jokic is slow. They're, they just don't have enough right now. They're not as good as I thought they orig originally were from watching the bubble. And you know, they're just not as good as we think they are. And the last thing uh, is with the Utah Jazz is with Bogdanovich, they can win the NBA championship. I don't think that's a hot take at all. The way they are playing, and I understand maybe recency, but they are up three games to one and no one saw this coming. And if Donovan Mitchell continues on his upward trajectory, and Rudy Gobert does what he has to do. And Mike Conley is playing like he's playing in the playoffs, giving you 26 last night. You get Bogdanovich back, who's a 19-point-per-game scorer and was your second-leading score this past year. There's no reason that Utah can't be a contender next year. They were supposed to be this year, right? Because Quinn Snyder's a good coach. He has these guys bought in. They have bought in. And if they play like this, they don't always play like this, but they play like this, they can be a championship-level team. And they can even just make things tough for a team like Dallas or the Clippers in the second round. 
Now, getting into the Dallas and Clippers game from last night, everyone who watched that game is all impressed by Luka Doncic, and as they should be. Luka Doncic is the truth. So the takeaways I took at the end is Luka Doncic is the truth. He is the truth. 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists last night, including the game-winning shot. And he also hit a go-ahead shot, too, before Marcus Morris hit that three in overtime. So it's not just the fact that he did all that scoring. It's the fact that he was injured. It's the fact that he was, you know, taking on Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, anyone they kind of threw at him. Because the Clippers threw anyone they wanted at him. And what he does so well is he uses the pick and roll. He uses his handle. And he reads things well. Like, even that spin move he made to have them go up 132 to 130. He just understands the game so well. And that's because the Clippers are trying to close the gaps. They're trying to get him one-on-one to make mistakes, to get turnovers. But he's reading their defense. Each game, he's getting better at this. He's reading their defense, and he's figuring out where he can score, where his shooters are. And as you see, his effect is rubbing off on the guys. Trey Burke's having 25 points. Tim Hardaway's having 21 points. Seth Curry's having 15 points. Boba Mondarnovich's having 10 points. And, again, it just just shows you his level of greatness. And people are saying, oh, he's 21. You know, you can't be calling him great yet. Yes, you can. Because when you're averaging 31 and a half points a game and shooting 52% from the floor against the team that has supposedly the best perimeter defense in the NBA, you have to give this guy his props. And the fact that they're tied in the series, I don't think anyone saw this. I saw it going six games. I So right now, they're on pace to have that happen. But 2-2 and without Porzingis yesterday, who had a sore knee, I hope he gets better, it just shows you the level of truth. The second thing I wanted to get away from this game is that Paul George just isn't ready for playoffs or he just isn't good in the playoffs just strictly Paul George has had a really bad history of the playoffs last year was not good for him the previous year against Utah in 2018 was just a bad year for him as well the big thing that my problem with him this year is he just isn't confident with his shot he says he is but you can just tell he's not making the shots and he's not making the right plays moreover though it's the fact that his percentages are just so bad in the series against a team that's not great defensively in Dallas He's shooting 29% from the floor, 22% from three, averaging 15.3 points a game. In the last three games alone, 21% from the floor, 16% from three, 11 points a game. 14, 11, and nine. That's just you're, – you're not, you're not going to win many games if your second best player, an all-star, a top 15 player in the NBA is playing like this against a not great defensive team, the Dallas Mavericks. And the third thing I want to say, too, is that the Clippers are not who we think they are. Everyone's saying, oh, the Clippers are the favorite. Oh, the Clippers are going to win this. Oh, the Clippers are – they just need the playoffs. They'll get themselves about to get it. Well, it's the playoffs now, and Luka Doncic is just torching them right now. He's tearing them apart, getting into their teeth, their defense, forcing help, kicking after guys like Seth, Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke. Trey Burke, it looks like an all-star in this series. I mean, he's just breaking guys down. Porzingis has scored 34, and Porzingis also had 23 in game two. And even game one, he looked pretty effective where he got ejected. They can't guard the Mavericks. And that's credit to Rick Carlisle. But it's a problem with the Clippers. They, don't, they had a 21-point lead yesterday. you got to win that game. you got to blow that team out. and Because if they're going to come back, Luka's going to fight back. And they just lost their mojo. I mean, Doc Rivers called them emotionally weak. I think it's more the fact they just don't play well together. It's like they don't embody their, their leader. They don't embody his skill set. They don't embody his demeanor. They, they all kind of want to do their own thing. And that's not going to win a championship. And they're just not who I think they are. Will they win the series? I think they still will. I think they'll win in seven games now because I think I'm going to give Luka Doncic a little bit more props. But there's definitely a chance they don't win this series. There's a definite chance. And I really do fear for the Clippers going forward.
Next game I wanted to get into, just I'm not going to obviously talk about the, the Nets that much. It's more just about the Toronto Raptors and how great they've been in the playoffs. They had a four-game sweep of Brooklyn Nets, averaging 21 points per game in their victory in terms of the victory margin. They won 150-122 to 122 yesterday. And it wasn't even just the starters who just went off yesterday. Norman Powell and Serge Ibaka were the big stories against the Brooklyn Nets, and they've been playing well all series. You know, Norman Powell in 24 minutes gives you 29 points. He's plus 31 when he's on the court. Serge Ibaka in 20 minutes gave you 27-15. He was plus 14. The starters were all really high in the plus minus. The lowest was Kyle Lowry played nine minutes was plus five. You know, Pascal Siakam gave you 20. OG Anobi who gave you 10. Marcus Saul gave you nine, and Fred Vigo gave you nine. Those guys didn't even play their greatest games because they didn't play a ton of minutes. Besides Siakam, who played 33 minutes. The rest of the guys played below 26 minutes. But they had 39 assists yesterday. They shot 55% from the floor, 47% from three, and they only had 10 turnovers. That's a 3.9 assist-to-turnover ratio. That's phenomenal. And they, they play like this. This is why they're good, because they move the ball well. They have a level of continuity. And Nick Nurse – so I originally thought that he didn't win coach of the year, and thank God he did, because I think he was the only, he was the most qualifying out of any of the coaches to win the coach of the year. I'm really glad he did win it. And just from a standpoint of that, he just he just did what he's supposed to do. And he's built a team without Kawhi that I think is going to win the East. They move the ball well. They, they're really good defensively in terms of their gap coverage, in terms of help, in terms of their bigs understanding pick and rolls and how to drop and make things tough for a guard. They also they, they just throw things at you, and that's going to be tough for teams like a Milwaukee, even like a Boston, to get by. Boston's the best chance to beat them, but I think Toronto's the favorite in the East. Now getting into Boston, Boston swept the 76ers yesterday. Is there any surprise in that? No. I, I thought they were going to win five. I just, again, I, I've said on this podcast before, I'm not a believer in Joel Embiid. Puts up good numbers like he did yesterday. Yeah, 30 and 10. Those are great numbers. He had a good series overall in terms of numbers. But it's really just you watch the game and see the impact he has on his teammates. He's sulking a lot. He has a bad attitude. He's wandering around the perimeter. He's not posting up every possession. And when you have a guy that's six foot eight on you, and Tice, who does a great job for what he can do, you got to take advantage of that matchup. Get deeper position and also make your move quicker. There are many times if you go watch that game or watch the highlights on like House of Highlights or something like that, he gets the ball and he faces up or he, and he waits too long before he makes his move. He's just got to go, go right away, make your move right? Because the double's coming and he's not smart enough to make good plays out of the double team. Not yet anyway. And this is a problem. Like Again, I don't blame Brett Brown for all of this. Brett Brown needs to be a little bit better about some of the plays he calls, but some of the things he does, some plays he calls and Joel Embiid just, you know, gets it and then takes, you know, five hours to make a move and they get double teamed, he turns the ball over, or he doesn't get a good shot off. And it's just a, that, that level of just attitude and leadership that he doesn't have is a problem. The second thing I want to get into is the fact that the Boston Celtics had that perimeter guard level to get you to that next step. Walker had 32 points yesterday. Jason Tam had 28. Jalen Brown had 16. And Gordon Hayward's hurt, which is, I think he would be a big addition. That's why I'm going to pick Toronto to win next, next round in seven games. But Boston actually has proven a lot to me in terms of just their level of toughness. They were down against Philly in game three, came back and won. They held off Philly again. Their defense was phenomenal against the 76ers. Even yesterday, shooting, forcing them to shoot 9 at 34 from the three-point line, their perimeter defense is really good. Now, Toronto doesn't have the big like Philly does, but Serge Ibaka is playing out of his mind. And Marcus Saul's always been a guy you can kind of rely upon to give you at least 
nine to 10 points. So as a result of that, I, I still think the fact that Boston has those perimeter guards will be a tough because I think their guards are really, really good. But their problem is going to rely on their size. How are they going to be able to rebound? Philly did beat them on the boards a lot in most of these games. But Philly just couldn't make layups. They just couldn't make shots. Like they shot horrible from three most of the series. And Joel Embiid just didn't take advantage of his match. He doesn't play that hard. And now I'm going to get into a game I thought yesterday. Well, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit honest here. I'm going to get into actually the draft analysis. Because I, I just basically get, ran off a lot of the games from yesterday and just kind of gave you a little bit of snippets of that. I'm going to give you the, the draft analysis of how I think of the top – I'm going to say eight players. I'm going to keep everything pretty short on this one because obviously it's a, it's a long period of time. But I'm going to be very short about what I think about each player, where I think they would be the best fit in in the terms of this draft. So everyone thinks that Anthony Edwards would be a good pick at number one. See, I don't – I'm not so sure. Sh- I, I think so too, actually. I don't think Lamelo Ball is a good fit with D'Andre Russell because D'Andre Russell is a point guard. Lamelo claims he's a point guard, but they're both scoring guards. D'Andre Russell does pass, but Lamelo score first. And his time in Europe – he only shot 26.5% from three, even though he could put the ball in the, in the hoop really well. He's got a great handle. His shot's also very broken like Lonzo's was, and I think he's going to struggle in the NBA with that. But the thing that I like about Anthony Edwards is the fact that he has a toughness about him. He has a really high level of athleticism. He can create his own shot really well, gets the rim really well. Again, he's a guy that has played well in big games. I mean, he had 33 points against Michigan State in the Maui Invitational. He's a guy that you – sorry, 37 points. And still, that's just – that shows you how good of a player he is. Now, he's 6'3", 225. That's a good size for a one or two guard. And he can play alongside DeAndre Russell because DeAndre Russell will pass. And I think he's athletic enough. And I think he will fix that you – know, be able to be a good fill-in for that shooting guard position. Now, the problem with him is that he's going to be a bit of an issue with their defense. And uh, Timberwolves are not really a great defensive team. They're one of the bottom halves in the defense every year because Carlton Towns doesn't really play defense. Jander Russell's not a great defender. So hopefully with his level of athleticism, they can fix that. Um, but I, I personally do not see um, that working first year. I think he's going to be a great offensive pickup. And I think he's a guy you pick at number one because I think he's proven enough. And I think he's also, even though he only shot 29% from three, he has good mechanics. I think he just took a lot of bad shots at Georgia because Georgia only could really use him as their only good player because Hammond, Ray Shot Hammonds was inconsistent at times. So I like Anthony Edwards as, as, as a number one pick. Now ESPN thinks that Lamelo Ball should be number two. See, I'm not so sure. Um, I think I think Lamelo Ball is very good. I think that he could go two or three, um, depending on where you see him. Um, my problem with him is just his shooting, and I think his level of, of understanding – when to pass, when to shoot. I think sometimes he plays too much of a pickup style, and that's based on his high school. He did play really well in the Australian League. I'll give that to him. He's, he's athletic. He's 6'7", and he can do a lot of great things. I think he will be better than his brother because I think he's, he has more of that alpha dog mentality, like I want to go score. But he's not the defender that Lonzo is. And whoever's going to pick him up, I don't see necessarily being a good addition for him to be a great defender. Because I, I think he's just, he's just not a great defender yet. He's not going to get that yet because I think he has a bit of an ego. But he's a very talented player. Pick him at two or three, I don't really have a problem with that. I, I think a, a guy I actually am very intrigued in is Obi Toppin. And that's because I think he has so much more potential than a lot of guys in the draft. 
And that's more because of the fact that he just he, – he, he took a team like Dayton, who I think had talent, but he took them to the number three team in the nation. He put up great numbers this past year. He can shoot the three. He can post up. But his problem is obviously he did struggle over length, and he's not a consistently great off-dribble kind of playmaker. He's a rip-and-go kind of guy going to the basket. He was a lot more on his athleticism. And he's skilled, but, again, he's a, he's a really good guy. You can put in a pick-and-roll. Now, I think Obi Toppin would be perfect for the Warriors as opposed to LaMelo Ball. And that's really – or like James Wiseman. I think James Wiseman also would be a better pick for the Warriors because the Warriors need a big. They have guards. They don't need LaMelo Ball. They don't need um, Anthony Edwards. Right? They, they don't need guards. Right? They, they, they don't need those type of players. Now, the problem I have, again, is what, who the Warriors really are going to pick at that big position. Is it going to be – Obi Toppin, or is it going to be James Wiseman? Now, I actually like James Wiseman a lot. I think James Wiseman actually possesses possess a lot more physical tools than a guy like Obi Toppin does. Obi Toppin, I think, would not be a good pick on the Bulls. I think the Bulls should actually go after LaMelo Ball, and that's because you can put Zach Levine in the shooting guard, you can put LaMelo Ball at the point guard position. I think that actually would work pretty well for them, and they could score a lot of points because – Zach Levine just needs another guy. They have marketing. So having Obi Toppin with marketing, I don't think that really works that well because they already have Wendell Carr in center. Um, and I think also you look at their, their team too. I think, yeah, LaMelo Ball would be a better pick for them. Now, the Warriors at two, like I, I, like I said again, even though I have no problem with LaMelo Ball going two or three, the Warriors really want to be that level of team that they can be. you got to pick James Wiseman at number two. And I think it's just – it's very simple with James Wiseman. James Wiseman – is athletic he's physical he's a good shot blocker again he's not he's a he is foul prone and he's not again a super skilled back to the basket player he's more of a jump shooter and a pick and roll guy but the Warriors don't necessarily need him to be a great skilled big they just need him to protect the rim and be mobile and he fits perfectly in those in in those ways because he does rebound and he is very athletic and again he's a guy that can protect the rim so, like, th- those are just, like, a little bit of draft analysis I want to give on those things. And, look, <laughs> the, the Knicks got the eighth pick in the draft, and there's so, some interesting picks they could pick there. They could pick this, the, the kid from Iowa State. Um, they also could pick, yeah, you know, the, the, yeah, they, they, the kid from Iowa, hey, uh, I, Iowa State, sorry, Tyrese Hal- Halberton. Um, I, I like him. I think he's actually – he's not a, a point guard, really, but in terms of the decision-making, he's more of a scorer. But I, I think that the Knicks could definitely pick him. I don't think it'll be a mistake. Um, I've watched him play in college, and I actually like his game a lot. He has a big dog man- mentality about him. He can go both ways. I think he'd be good for the Knicks, actually. I think Thibodeau would actually be able to make him into a point guard. Because, again, I like Thibodeau because of the fact that Thibodeau has, was able to make a guy like Derek Rose such a great player um, as his coach. So, like, those are just some, some things I think about the draft and just, like, the top picks overall. I think the kid from Israel is interesting. I, I think that there are some glaring holes in his game. I think the fact he can't really shoot that well is a big problem. And I think you have to put him a power forward as point guard because then he might turn into another Ben Simmons kind of issue. I'm not saying he's not willing to shoot, but I'm saying he's just not a good three-point shooter. He shoots in the low 20s. So if you're going to put him at – and he shoots 58% from the free throw line. So I, like those are what I think about the draft guys overall in that kind of scenario. Now, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Now – Hopefully tomorrow I'll be back on. Show is to be determined tomorrow. I will be back on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. 
I will let you guys know about those shows as they come up. If you follow my Instagram account, please give it a look. And I hope you guys have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to Shreds Takes Podcast. And I will see you guys hopefully tomorrow. Have a good one. If you like that clip, like and subscribe to hear more from Shred Takes Podcast Show and be in touch for more stuff coming up weekly.